You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Haggai chapter 2, that's where we're going to be this morning. And as you turn there, and I invite you to stand, Haggai chapter 2. We'll begin reading in verse 10. And just want to mention, too, to our maybe some guests that we do have a child care available this, this morning. We've got nursery available uh, if you want to make use of that. And uh, we have, I'm sure, somebody that would be willing to help you find that if you need some help to do that. And uh, good, good, good practices, this, this, uh, with, especially with everything coming back. We're taking some steps of precaution and, and making sure things are clean and, and orderly and there. And I think you'll feel comfortable putting your children in there if you choose to do that this morning. Um, Haggai chapter 2 is where we're going to be. If you're still trying to find it, go to Matthew and go left a few pages. And that's probably the easiest way to find it. It's one of the minor prophets toward the end of the Old Testament here. And we're going to read the same passage we read last week. But we're going to deal with two verses that I did not deal with last week. uh, Just because I didn't have time to get to it. But I think it's worthy of a thought this morning. Haggai chapter 2, we'll begin reading in verse 10. It says, In the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, in the second year of Darius, came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Thus saith the Lord of hosts, Ask now the priests concerning the law, saying... And this is the message we talked about last week. We're talking about holiness and unholiness. Now, holiness is not contagious, but unholiness is. It says, If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment... And with his skirt to touch bread or pottage or wine or oil or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. Basically, the idea is if you take an offering and you put it on the altar to give it to God, and then that priest wraps it up in his garment to carry it off, that, that, all, that offering is holy to God. It's set apart for God. Um, and, and it will transfer, maybe then his garment becomes holy, but if that garment turns around and touches something else, holiness is not transferable. In other words, it's not contagious. You, I, you don't get holy just by hanging out with me. Okay? I'm, trust me, I don't have enough holiness for that, even if I wanted to. But he says, but there is, though, on the opposite side, there is something called unholiness, and it is contagious. Look at verse 13. It says, then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it shall be unclean. And you know this, just, I mean, just living life. If you hang out with unholy people, then it's contagious and it spreads. Unholiness is contagious. 14, and this is kind of where we get into some of our thoughts uh, down through verse 19. It says, Then answered Haggai, Haggai and said, So is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. And now I pray you, consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to an heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. And we'll explain that later. I smote you with blasting, and with mildew, and with hail, and in all the labors of your hands, yet ye turned not to me, saith the Lord." Consider now, and here's kind of our key here. Consider now from this day and upward, from the four and twentieth day of the ninth month, 
Even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid, consider it. Is the seed yet in the barn? Yea, as yet the vine and the fig tree and the pomegranate and the olive tree hath not brought forth. From this day will I bless you. You say, well, what in the world are we talking about here? Well, I think there's an important principle found especially in verse 19 with the question, is the seed yet in the barn? Is the seed yet in the barn? And we'll explain what I mean by that or what I think the Lord meant in giving us this message. And I'm calling it today, From Disaster to Blessing. God wants to take us from disaster to blessing, but sometimes it doesn't happen in the time frame we want. And in that overlapping period of time, we have a tendency to quit before God can actually begin to bless us. So let's pray and ask God to bless his re- the reading of his word and then the preaching as well. Father, we come and humble ourselves before you and ask that you would speak to our hearts through your word, that you would change us with your truth. God, I'm thankful for this group here today, and I, Lord, it's not about me. It's about the truth that, you, that we get to open and look at and and I'm praying that it would, re, it would be on center stage today, that your truth would, your Holy Spirit would be what we focus on, and that we would see true change in our hearts from it. Lord, help us, Lord, to be focused on you. I pray that you keep our attention where it needs to be. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You can be seated. Last week, uh, last Sunday night, we had a pretty special service here at Eastside Baptist Church. And uh, this is kind of a more of an unplanned type of introduction, but I, I couldn't get away from talking about the testimony service that we had last Sunday. And I mean, I love testimony services anyway. I love to hear people talk about what God's done in their lives, and, and I love to hear about how God's working, and I love to hear people give gratitude to God for somebody else that's been a blessing in their lives. But last Sunday night was a little bit different in that we were asking people to convey something in their life or in their heart that God has done due to the coronavirus. You know, the last few months have been anything but settled. And yet, as people got up and they were talking about maybe lessons that they had learned in the last few months, or they, were, they had talked about their increased faith that God had done in their hearts through the, the coronavirus and not being able to be at church, and, and some of them got laid off of their work, and yet... God had brought a new job in their lives. And, and even in getting laid off, we had some saying that, that financially they've paid off more debt than they have at any other point in their lives during this time. Just thinking about how even during the time like the coronavirus when, when things are settled down and slower, and yet through all of that, uh, how many people said they were thankful for having more time with their families. You know, it's amazing how what many would, would have called a disaster has in many ways turned into a blessing in people's lives. And I'm not saying that, that I'm sitting here thanking God for the pandemic. I'm thankful that God can turn something like a pandemic into a blessing in our lives. That's what I'm thankful for. That he can take us from disaster to blessing. That's essentially what God wants to do with our lives. He wants to take the mess that we make and he wants to forgive us and fix it and repair it and turn us into trophies of his blessing. He wants to take us from where we are naturally to where he wants us to be spiritually. 
And that's what he does, that's what he's doing for Israel as well, as well here in our text, except that this is a disaster of their own making. They're in this position because of choices they had made. Last week we looked at the text and we saw how Israel had suffered greatly due to disobedience. And, and I read the story, I read the text here as well. I don't have to go back and repeat all of it, but they had begun to work on the foundation of the temple and some 15 years before our text right here. But the work had been stopped and when, by outside forces and they had an option, an opportunity later on to resume the work on the temple foundation. And yet instead of resuming the work, they had grown complacent. For the while that they could not do the work, they got used to not doing the work. And when then they had an opportunity then to start the work again, they were complacent. They were negligent. They, they weren't ready. They weren't motivated to get back. And I, in some ways, I think there's a parallel in that for a while, we weren't able to be, meet here in church, and we, we were trying to be cautious and, and take some steps and, and be mindful. Um, but after a while, I think some people got a little bit used to staying at home during church. Some people got a little bit used to the idea of watching the live stream and enjoying the time to stay at home and not having to get out and not having to drive to church. And, and I started this series really out of a, a mind to have the parallels be brought out and that when we don't have the church, the house of God for a while, we can grow complacent to the house of God. And we need to be sure that we're not negligent to our responsibility as God's people to jump back in when we can. That's what they were dealing with. So they, they had neglected God's house. They had lifted up other priorities above God's house. So Haggai then compares the neglected temple and he basically compares it to a corpse, a dead body in their midst. And he says, and it's infecting every part of your lives. The sin of neglect toward God's house had spread through the nation. It was contagious. So Haggai had begun preaching sermons. God had commissioned him. This, an angel of the Lord came and told Haggai to begin preaching some messages to God's people to let them know it's time to get started rebuilding the foundation and rebuilding the temple again. So he comes in chapter 1 and he preaches a message. And his first message is to motivate them to get started. He says it's time to get started. And we've gone over these texts as well. The second message comes a few weeks later. They had begun repairing the foundation, but they had already grown discouraged from it. So he comes back again a few weeks later. The second message is to encourage them to keep going. And then his third message is preached right here in Haggai chapter 2. This is a few months later. This is after the foundation has basically been repaired, been completed. They've been working. The foundation is ready. Whatever repairs needed to be made have been done. And that's when Haggai then is preaching this message. And he comes reminding them of the mess they had made by their own bad choices to remind them that maybe they shouldn't be doing it again. Let them know, listen, here's where you were. And sometimes it's good for us to be reminded where we were so that we don't have motiv motivation to go back there again. That's what Haggai's doing. He, and he comes and he tells them, listen, you were in a disaster because of your own decisions. And that's basically what we took that, looked at last week. But there's another point that I really want to make this morning. Look again at verses 13 and 14. It says, Then said Haggai, If one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priests answered and said, it shall be unclean. We talked about Leviticus chapter 6 last week. If someone touches a dead body, they're considered in God's eyes considered unclean for seven days. 
and that uncleanness is transferable. It's contagious. Then answered, verse 14, then answered Haggai and said, So is this people, and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord, and so is every work of their hands, and that which they offer there is unclean. So in the same way that a person is unclean, if they handle a dead body, the entire nation in God's eyes, the entire nation had been unclean because of how they handled God's house. He looked at them, and, and, and rather than looking at them as clean, they are his people, he's, he's pleased with them, their handling of God's house, or should I say their mishandling of God's house, meant that they were unclean in God's eyes. He says every work of their hands is unclean, not e- and that includes even their offerings. So the people, because of sin in their heart, even their religious works were considered unclean. Because they had sin in their life, they would show up to church, we'll say, and they would bring something to an altar, and they would be involved in religious service, but in God's eyes, they were unclean. Even their religious work was unclean. And that kind of leads to the first thought then that I want to point out here as we get to our point. And that first thought is this, that sin brings spiritual disaster. Sin leads to spiritual disaster. I want you just to think about the disaster that their sin created for Israel. Look back in chapter 1. We'll read a few verses here. Chapter 1, verse 6. Here's the disaster they're dealing with. Verse 6. Ye have sown much and bring in little. Ye eat, but ye have not enough. Ye drink, but ye are not filled with drink. Ye clothe you, but there is none warm. And he that earneth wages, earneth wages to put it into a bag with holes. Because of their sin, think about what they're dealing with. He's saying, Haggai is saying, listen, you're sowing and you're planting, but you have very little crop. You're eating, but you're not getting full. You're drinking, but it's not satisfying you. You have clothes, but they're not warm enough. And you're putting money, it's like putting money into a bag that has holes. You know, you put the money, if you ever had a hole in your pocket, and you put change in your pocket, it falls right out the pocket and out the bottom of your pant leg. That's what's happening to Israel. They, they, they are trying, because of their sin, they're trying to do what they should, but God's not blessing any of it. It's a spiritual disaster, and it's affecting them physically. Look at, down at verse 9. It says, Ye looked for much, and lo, it came to little. And when ye brought it home, I did blow upon it. Why? saith the Lord of hosts, because of mine house that is waste, and you run every man unto his own house. Therefore the heaven over you is stayed from dew, and the earth is stayed from her fruit. And I called for a drought upon the land, and upon the mountains, and upon the corn, and upon the new wine, and upon the oil, and upon that which the ground bringeth forth, and upon men, and upon cattle, and upon all the labor of the hands. You think God had thought through how, how wide-reaching he wanted the drought to be? Yeah, every single part of their life that could have used rain, that could have used blessing, God withheld his blessing because of their sin. This is a disaster. See, it's one thing to have God not blessing you. It's another to have God actively working against you. Can you imagine that? I mean, it's one thing if God would withhold his blessing from me. I can understand that. But to think that God at times in my life because of my sin is not just withholding his blessing. He's standing against me. He's pushing back. I don't want to be in that position. When I was in in high school, I, I played football for my high school football team. And I happened to play the same position as these two other guys. And these two other guys were brothers. And they both ended up playing in the NFL. So if you can imagine me 
all 5'9 of me, and at that point about 180 pounds. And these two brothers, one was 6'6", about 220, the other was about 6'3", 230. So we would go up in drills against each other, and, and I couldn't move them. They could just stand there like that, and as much as I wanted to, I could not make them move. And then, at times, they would push back. So I won't, I won't give you what happened to me when those times happened, but if you can imagine, it was a disaster. So to have then God, the God of heaven, not just stand there passively and not bless you, but to have him actively making sure that there's drought in your land, can you imagine? That's where Israel's at here. It's a disaster. Look over at chapter 2, verse 15. Still, disaster. It says, And now I pray you consider from this day and upward, from before a stone was laid upon a stone in the temple of the Lord, since those days were, when one came to a heap of twenty measures, there were but ten. When one came to the press fat, for to draw out fifty vessels out of the press, there were but twenty. God, it, God is basically saying, he's saying, what I want you to do is I want you, he says, he uses the phrase, consider from this day and upward. And he, basically he's telling them, I want you to think back. Or you might look at it this way. He's saying, let's get a 10,000 foot view of what's happening here. You ever hear that before? Not just a ground level view. Let's get a 10,000 foot view of what's happening. A big picture view. And he's saying, before you could make any progress, your condition made it impossible for me to bless you. And he says, then he starts talking about the measures, 20 measures, and then there were 10, 50 vessels, and then now there were just 20. What he's saying is, he said, when, you, when I was working against you, you would go to, for instance, you would go to your barn, or you would go to your crops, and where you used to have 20 measures of, well, let's say, corn, or you used to have 20 measures of corn. He said, but I was so actively working against you, when you went and looked at your measures of corn, now you only had 10. And not only that, you would go and you would try to, with, your, with the vineyards and with the grapes, you would go and, and usually you'd have 50 barrels full of, of wine or grape juice. And now because I've been working against you, now you only have 20. God is showing them, listen, I have measurably been working against you. You're in a spiritual disaster. Look at verse 17. I smote you with blasting and with mildew and with hail and in all the labors of your hands, yet you turn not to me, saith the Lord. Look at that. He's saying, I, blasting, that's burning, scorching winds. Does that sound familiar today? I walked outside this morning and I thought, I mean, it feels like a giant hairdryer out here. <laughs> 90s and the wind blowing like that? I mean, it was, it was wild. Well, that's, that's what was happening all the time to them, except it was God doing it. Blasting. He says mildew. He was rotting their crops so they wouldn't have anything to be blessed with. He said hail. He, he sent hail to destroy their crops. And through all of that, he says, yet you turn not to me. Listen, their spiritual condition, and I want you to get how important this is, their spiritual condition before God affected his blessings. They were experiencing drought and shortage of food and tattered clothing, and hail, and bad crops because of sin. And I know it's not popular to preach about sin anymore, but listen, we must understand that sin is the reason God doesn't bless his people. This is a FEMA-level disaster for Israel, and it began because they had a spiritual problem. And think about our country right now. I think you could call the USA a disaster right now. 
I read a headline this morning, and uh, I don't know what poll it was. I don't know how much you can trust a poll. But they, of the people that the Americans that they asked about the state of our country, 80% said that we were spiraling out of control in their minds. And that seems about right, doesn't it? I mean, I think about COVID-19, it's a health disaster, and I'm not saying that God caused it necessarily. I'm not sure that I subscribe to that. But when you consider the spiritual condition of our country, at the very least, God has no obligation to help us through this. None. The results of the virus economically and politically have been devastating. But a lot of the turmoil and hatred and fighting, it stems, folks, it starts because we are a spiritually unhealthy country. The unrest and division in our country is reaching new heights right now, not because of coronavirus and not because of political turmoil, but because of our spiritual condition before a holy God in heaven. It's showing up in the situation with George Floyd's death as well. You know, the video was awful, it was tough to watch. And I don't know all the backstory. I mean, all we have is the video. Uh, but, in, in folks, anybody guilty of murder deserves justice. They do. And there's no room for racism in God's economy. Because every soul matters to God. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in His sight. We've been singing that song since we were kids. And murder is the result of sin. Absolutely no question about that. But I have to say, so is looting. And so is burning. And violence. And stealing. And hatred. And the whole situation points to a country in the middle of spiritual disaster. And when there's spiritual disaster, God's blessings will be nowhere to be found. So I ask then today, has sin led, has sin led to spiritual disaster in your life? See, all of us who have felt the effects of sin to one degree or another, uh, we know, we've felt it, we've been there, but what are you dealing with in your life right now that's a result of sin? Maybe it's a broken relationship because of your decisions or your choices or your lust or your anger. You have a stronghold. Maybe you have an addiction to some substance or some sin and it seems to control every choice you make. Maybe you have some physical ailment or effects due to anxiety and worry and fear. Or maybe right now you're in financial ruin because of poor choices. Listen, sin always leads to disaster. And it shows up not just spiritually, it shows up in our physical lives as well. It's where sin brings us. I think about salvation, and there are some in this room, the greatest spiritual disaster is when a person dies without Christ. And if you were to die today, in your present condition, you would die without Jesus Christ. And I'm coming to you and begging you to understand what the Bible says, that everybody on this planet that's ever been born and ever will be born and is alive right now, every person is a sinner according to God's word. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. There is none righteous, no, not one. We all deserve to die and be separated from God forever in a place called hell. Ezekiel chapter 18 says, The soul that sinneth, it shall die. Romans 6, 23, For the wages of sin is death. That's what we deserve. But here, listen, folks, the good news is that God sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins. But for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, 
but have everlasting life. And yes, you're a sinner. And yes, you deserve to be separated from God forever in a place called hell. But God loved you enough to send His Son to die on the cross for your sins. You don't have to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell. Every person that has ever lived is a sinner, but every sinner that has lived or is living now has had the opportunity to avoid the greatest spiritual disaster by placing faith in Jesus Christ. And it's available for you today. Otherwise, spiritually speaking, expect a life of emptiness. It's what we've been talking about here. Spiritual disaster, expect. If you never receive Christ as your Savior, you can guarantee a life of spiritual drought. Emptiness. You can expect no satisfaction. You'll never be comfortable spiritually. You'll never have enough peace to lay your head at night and go to sleep in peace. You'll never be secure about eternity unless you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Listen, you don't have to live with spiritual disaster. God's plan is better than FEMA's. And he can not only clean up after our disasters, but he can transform our disasters into something wonderful. Look down in verse 18. Consider now from this day and upward, and there's that phrase again. It sounds a lot like verse 15. And then he gives the date of the message. And again, he's saying, listen, consider upward. Get, let's get the big picture here. Not just before you started building the temple uh, right now, but I want you to think back all the way back to the beginning of when the foundation was started years ago, 15 plus years ago. What he's saying is think about how long I've been unable to bless you. Look, consider now from this day and upward, from the 4 and 20th day of the ninth month, even from the day that the foundation of the Lord's temple was laid. Consider this. What he's saying is, what I want you to understand is, think about how long I've not been able to bless you. Think about how long, get a big picture, think about how long I've withheld my blessing and not only withheld it, but pushed against you. Think about how long it's been. Think about how many blessings you've missed out on. Think about all the blessings you could have had, but you forfeited because of your sin. But then he comes back in verse 19. And he says, basically, if sin brings spiritual disaster, obedience brings spiritual blessings. So the first point here is, if sin, sin brings spiritual disaster, but obedience brings spiritual blessings. And I love the contrast. Again, let's get the big picture. We're coming to the point, okay? Got to lay it all out. The big picture is this. You've been disobedient for so long that I've been working against you and withholding my blessing for years. But, but, now that you've turned, now that you've heard my word and you've turned an about face in the same way that I worked against you to prevent you from having blessings and to, and to keep you where you were in disaster. In the same way that I've been working against you now that you've turned, I plan to turn your disaster into abundance. To the same degree, folks, get it. To the same degree, God is saying, to the same degree that things were withheld and things were bad and things were disasters, I want things to be that good on the other side. I want things to be wonderful in your lives. I want you to experience blessings. Your harvest has been terrible. Uh, you're about to have a bumper harvest. Just wait. See, God blesses in proportion to our obedience. And listen, I want you to get this. God doesn't work, want to work against us. God is on your side. God is on my side. 
He wants to bless you. He wants to give you a rich spiritual life. He wants you to experience everything spiritually that you're supposed to enjoy. And notice I'm not just saying he's going to make you rich if you follow him. It's not a health and wealth message this morning. I'm saying spiritually speaking, God wants to bless you. Jeremiah 29, he said, For I know the thoughts that I think toward you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace, not evil, to give you an expected end. That's the life he wants for you. And we often assume that we miss out on God's best because he doesn't want us to have it. But according to his word, our spiritual blessings are connected to our level of obedience. It's not God that makes us miss out on the abundant Christian life. It's our sin that makes us miss out on the abundant Christian life. Obedience doesn't prevent it. Obedience allows us to have it. What a promise. It seems like such an easy process. Okay, if I disobey, disaster. If I obey, blessings. And it seems so simple. But here's the twist. Because there's an element here that we often overlook. See, he begins verse 19 with this question, is the seed yet in the barn? And then he says, the vine tree, or the vines, the fig trees, the pomegranates, the olive oil, the olive trees, they haven't produced fruit yet. So what is he meaning? I'll get it here because the rest of the message is dependent on you getting this transition. See, what he's saying is, yes, you're obeying right now, but you don't have the harvest in hand yet. You understand that? Yes, you're obeying right now, but you're not holding the fruit of your obedience yet. See, you haven't experienced the good harvest yet. You can't enjoy the fruit of your labor because all the crops to this point are gone. They're rotten. The barns, listen, what he's telling you, listen, go to the barns and look. The, even though you're doing right today, the barns are still empty. Because you haven't enjoyed the, the harvest yet. Still, you're still dealing with the effects of those years of sinfulness, is what he's telling them. They're, you're still reaping bad fruit because of the spiritually disastrous seeds that you've been sowing for all of these years. And it's important that we get this. Okay, I'm going I'm to explain it to you in a scenario. And unfortunately, I think this scenario has happened far too often with God's people. Let's say that you grow up. Let's say we've got a young man. We'll call him John. And let's say that John grows up in a Christian home. And, but when he turns 18, then he gets away from the Lord for a while. Okay, we all know stories like this. John's raised in a Christian home. He's got good, solid parents. They love him very much. They raise him to love God. And yet something in his heart goes awry. And when he's 18 and he has the option... He walks away from the Lord for about five years. And there's a five-year window that he doesn't do right like he knows that he should. So he spends five years and he's out in the world and he's sowing bad seeds in his life. And he gets in big trouble for it. Let's say that after five years, he's gotten into substance abuse. He's gotten in trouble with the law. He's gotten in trouble financially. He's got the wrong set of friends. All of his relationships are broken and with the law, financially, relationships, everything is a spiritual disaster because of his choices. And he hits rock bottom. Sounds a little bit like the prodigal son, doesn't it? So one day, John, he's at his low point, And he comes back to church and he sits through a message. And God uses his word to convict John's heart. 
and to get things right. And John comes forward and he makes things right with God at invitation. Praise the Lord. And he goes to bed that night and guess what? He sleeps really well. The next day he wakes up and it's like he is free from the burden of sin and he has this renewed peace that he hasn't had in a long time. And he starts thinking about the fact that God promises to bless him if he obeys because that's what God promises to do. So John wakes up and he said, yes, I have started planting good seeds again. Now I can go and enjoy the blessings. So he gets online and he opens up his bank account and guess what? It still says zero. So then he calls his good friend and he had, that he had a falling out with and he, he wants to make things right. And, and so he calls his friend and says, hey, it's John. And his friend cusses him out. So he gets a letter in the mail that day. And he's like, okay, well, maybe just two, two small things, no big deal. But then he gets a letter in the mail reminding him that he has a court date coming up for a crime that he committed when he was drunk one night. And then later on the afternoon, things aren't going very well, and he starts having the craving for the substance that he's been abusing for those five years. And now John is on his knees, and he's looking up into heaven, and he's saying, God, wait a second. I'm obeying you right now. I got things right. I started, stopped planting the bad seeds. I turned from my sin back to you. I made things right. You pl promised to bless your people. And listen, it, there... Where's the fruit? Where's the good fruit, God? I've been doing this for 18 whole hours. And all I'm seeing is this rotten, stinky fruit. Something's not right, God. But wait, John's been sowing bad seed for years. He is still reaping the bad fruit because of his sinful choices. And our problem, folks, is that we expect that once we obey, God will just start blessing us right away. Well, does he make things better? Absolutely. Do we sleep better at night? Yes, we do. Do we have more peace? We sure do. But listen, there's a period of time that we are sowing good seeds, but we're still reaping bad fruit from the bad seeds we sowed from the years before. Galatians 6, 7, be not deceived. God is not mocked for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. We don't get to escape the consequences simply because we start sowing good seeds. And I want to illustrate this very simply and quickly, and I just need some young men. Jason, I'm going to start with you. I'm going to give you a very fitting sign here. You come stand right over here. Jason's sign says, sow bad seed. He, he lives in my house, so, you know... So I know. Looking for some Wasson boys. They're always good for illustrations. Y'all come up here. They're not excited. So, but these, you get some good signs, okay? Now we need to be six feet apart. So you stand right here. And then you come stand right here. Show the, show the sign. What does it say? Reap, reap bad fruit. Okay, so Jace is sowing bad seed. This is the process in our lives. You sow bad seed, you reap bad fruit, right? That's right? That's how it works. Okay, well, let's just say this is John's life, and this is, represents the five years that he was away. He was sowing bad seed, and he's reaping bad fruit. But he gets things right, 
And now he is sowing good seed. Carlos, come here. I want you to hold this sign and be six feet away right here. (laughs) Sow good seed. So he makes things right. Now, what's naturally next then? What comes next in the order? You do what? Reap good fruit, right? Manny, why don't you come up here too? So you go stand six feet away from your brother, and you're going to hold up the reap good fruit sign. Need one more. Chase, you come up here. Come on up here. No? Doesn't want to? No? Okay. Why? Will you do it? No? Okay. And you're one chance to shine, and they don't do it. Come here, Carter. You, you can't say no to me. <laughs> reap good fruit. Okay, so I want you to get the process here. So here's the way that it works in our lives, is that we sow bad seed, and then we reap bad fruit. Now, and the reason I did it this way is because one seed turns into multiple fruit. Like, it's a hundredfold. If you plant a tomato seed, you get a tomato plant, and you can get hundreds of tomatoes. So there's one seed being sown, but he's reaping bad fruit multiple times. And the same thing works with good seed. You sow good seed you reap good fruit, you reap good fruit. So what we felt, here's our problem though. We think that we sow bad seed and we reap bad, reap bad fruit, but when we start sowing good seed, then, then we, we no longer have to reap the bad fruit. We think, okay, it's over. I'm done reaping bad fruit. Now that I started sowing good seed, I don't have to deal with that anymore. But what we don't realize, if you will then go stand between Manny and Carlos right there. What we don't realize is, though, that sometimes even when we start sowing good seed, we still have to, at times, reap bad fruit. Because, listen, you reap what you sow, but you reap later than you sow. You reap very often, much later. And there are some of you, and I could probably ask those of you who have lived a life any length of time, and you would say, in my life, I've experienced sowing bad seeds, but then I start sowing good seeds, but I reap fruit, bad fruit for years to come. Isn't that true? It's happened in my life before where I sow some bad seed early on and years later I'm still reaping the bad fruit. And see, here's the disconnect. I'm calling this the overlap right here. There's an overlap where you're sowing good seed but you're reaping bad fruit. And a lot of times God's people will say, but I started obeying and I started doing right and yet now I'm still reaping bad fruit what gives? And for a while, after a while, they get tired of reaping bad fruit when they're trying to do right. So you know what they do? They quit. And I'm calling it the overlap. There's a time in our lives where the overlap may come and we may still be reaping bad fruit while we're sowing good seed. And I'm going to implore you today not to give up when there's overlap. Because if you will continue to sow the good seed... Someday, you will eventually get to reap the good fruit. But you don't get to choose how long you reap the bad fruit. It's not up to us. And I'm encouraging you. There's probably a lot of people in this room, and you've been through this, and maybe even right now, you're still reaping bad fruit from the seeds that you've sown. There's overlap, and you're about to give up. But what we have from God is a promise that He will turn it around. The seed may not be in the barn just yet, but he, basically when he says that, it's a promise, but someday it will be. Thank you, guys. You can even keep the signs as a memento. Thank you very much. See, listen. 
God will bless us. God will turn it around if we turn to him from our sin and we obey and do right. But it doesn't mean we miss the consequences. We, get to, we have to determine to sow good seeds no matter the overlap. Many times we spend years reaping the effects of bad decisions and bad fruit. But listen, God, so here's the third kind of main point here is that sin leads to disaster. Obedience leads to blessing and God can turn our spiritual disasters into blessings. And I'm thankful. Only a God like our Father can do something like that. He wants to. He wants to take us from a bless, from a mess to blessed. And I had that in my mind. I was like, it's going to be so good and I messed it up. He wants to take you from a disaster to blessings. He wants to and he will, but you have to remember the process along the way is that sometimes you have to wait for the blessings. God doesn't always work on our timetable, folks. God wants to take you from a disaster to blessing, but it might be a while before you get to reap the good fruit. There are consequences to our actions. We don't miss those just because we get things right. That overlap, that period of time where we're sowing good seeds but reaping bad fruit, that's when most people throw in the towel. And you say, but I spent years sowing bad seeds and reaping bad fruit. Now I'm sowing good seed, but I'm still reaping bad fruit. How long is it going to last? And I have to tell you, as a word of encouragement, I have no idea. We don't get to choose the consequences. We don't get to choose the, the time frame. We have to trust that when God says, from this day, will I bless you, that he says to them, he'll turn it around someday. There's a lot of practical applications here. I think about, you know, my first South Dakota winter and how it treated my waistline. You know, if you spend months not being diligent, you're going to reap a very large harvest of bad fruit. So you get up the first day and you exercise and you do right and, you, and you're diligent. Then you get on a scale right after and it's unfriendly and you say, but I planted good seed today. Where's the fruit? Well, it doesn't work like that. See, you have, you have a while to deal with the bad fruit in the barn before you get to reap the good fruit from the good seed you're planting today. It makes sense when, I think, when we think about it that way, doesn't it? It may not come for weeks or, or maybe even months, but it's more than that. I think about like marriages. You know, some people get married and their spouse has planted certain seeds for a long time. And you expect it to change overnight. You may have to be in a position when you're dealing with someone else's bad fruit for a while until they sow good seed long enough that they get to reap good fruit. And I'm asking you, listen, if God is patient with you in the process, be patient with somebody else. Don't give up during the overlap. I, it works with children, too. I've known parents, and they weren't so diligent. They didn't spend much time training or disciplining their kids, and, and then they make a choice to do better. But when you've allowed a seed of license to be planted in a heart for very long, you will have a season of spoiled fruit until the good seed takes root. And I'm telling parents today, don't quit in the overlap. It may feel like 18 years of overlap. But if you will do what you're supposed to, we have God's promise. He says, from this day, I will bless you. If you will obey, I will make sure that someday it comes to fruition. I think about our teenagers in this room. I love our teenagers. 
I love young people. And every young person goes through, not every young person, many times a young person will make a decision that causes their parents to lose some trust in them and they've made some mistakes and the parents remove some privileges and then they start doing right and they start planting good seeds, but their parents' trust has not been earned back yet. And teenagers will come and they'll say, but I'm doing right. What does it take to build trust again? Well, it takes a season where you may have to reap some fruit of the decisions you've made. But if you will continue to plant good seeds, teenagers, if you will continue to do what's right, someday God will bless you for it. Think about some in here who've tried at times to get their life right. And I've known many, they lived a long life of wrong choices. And they start making right choices, but it takes a while before they experience any good fruit. And they give up in the overlap and they never get to experience what God wants to bless them with. Don't give up in the overlap. Some of you, with God's house, you've been away and now you've decided to come back. And the decision to come back is right, but it doesn't fix everything. It takes some time. There's a season that you have to sow good seed in the overlap and just trust by faith that God will bless you for doing the right thing. Some of you have maybe been saved recently, but you've lived a life of spiritual disaster And because things don't get easy right away, you go back to sowing the bad seeds because that's all you know. But if you will simply decide to stick it out, God will bless obedience. He he just may not do it on our time frame. See, God wants to turn your disaster into blessings, but there's two things. If you don't turn, it won't happen. And second, if you quit in the overlap, you never enjoy the good fruit. There's some formal, I'm, I'm former, I'm looking around the room, there's some former spiritual disasters in this room right now. Spiritually, they were, I mean, as low as you can get. Disasters. FEMA would have declared a state of emergency. But you know, now they're enjoying good fruit in their life Because they decided God's way of blessing was better than their way of disaster. And second, they planted good seed long enough to survive the overlap. So will you. If you want God to turn your disaster into blessing, you must turn to him, acknowledge your sin, start sowing good seeds, and then just do it until the season of overlap is done. And when it's all said and done, you'll be one of the former spiritual disasters sitting here in this room enjoying the sweet fruit of God's blessing in your life. It's available to every person in this room if we'll just stick it out through that season right there, the season of overlap. Every head bowed, every eye closed, let's stand together. This message is for everybody. It applies more to some than it does to others. But if you're in a position where you're trying to do right, but you're sowing, reaping bad fruit still, I'm going I'm to say this message is primarily for you. That you just need to decide, am I going to follow what I feel in the moment, or am I going to have faith that what God says is real?
And if I will simply do what he tells me, even though there's no seed in the barn yet, there will be someday. He's making that promise to every one of his children and he's making it to you right now. Will you, will you continue through the overlap and enjoy God's blessing? There's some in this room today and you've never been saved and I preached on that a little bit ago and that you are a sinner and you deserve to be separated from God but God sent his son, Jesus Christ, to die in your place on that cross. He paid your payment and all you have to do is receive it today and you can be saved. You can leave today. You can leave today a child of God. And I hope that you will. If God's pricking your heart about that, don't, don't wait. Just come down here and I'll meet you down here and we'll get that settled. For those of you in here and you, you are doing things the right way and your life is, a, is blessed and things are going well, then maybe this is a reminder to you to not step into the arena of sowing bad seeds. We've got some young people and you're still pure and you're still doing things the right way and you're gonna be tempted the older you get to step into trying some other things and it always leads to disaster. Just don't even start going down that road. So I think it applies to everybody. I'll let the Holy Spirit work in your heart however he sees fit. But if God's spoken to you, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna ask you to make a decision this morning. Let God do the work he intends to do. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.